a world full of mundane podcasts. One show rises from the ashes. Critics are calling it outrageous. Podcasts as we know it will never be the same again. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Welcome to the show tonight. Prepare for an epic journey where every step could be your last. The destination, a place where no maps can show. The mission, to rise above the rest. The danger, unimaginable. The reward, a shit ton of weed and laughs. It's going to blow your mind. This is To Be Blood. So sit back, turn up the volume, grab your weed, get ready to light those blood. media at all you have heard the rumblings the news of Curalee's demise on the rise and we're gonna find out more about that tonight because joining me is the man behind the breaking news he is investigative journalist Grant Smith Ellis here live on the show don't go anywhere that's coming up right after the intro joining me for this Epic conversation. Chris DeSalza, Lou Rinaldi, you already know them. And we have a whole lot to cover. I mean, this is going to be nuts. This has been the talk of the nation. Not just Connecticut, the nation. So it is my honor to have Grant L. Smith, Grant Smith L. I'm sorry, here tonight. I cannot wait. I got my weed ready. I got one of these sweet 
pressed bun wraps? I don't know if this is even gonna light, but that's gonna be the first thing we do. I've been trying to figure this out the whole time. This is actually gonna work. This thing's pretty dope. Shout out, we see you in the comments right now. Instagram's popping. Viscadio, I see you up in the house. Donna Taylor's up in the house. Everybody's in here waiting to see what he's got to say. Let's get right into it. It is the highest podcast around. It is 2B. Pull up, baby. Let's go. So I already know my man's waiting to come on. Waiting to come on. And I got to light this blunt. That's the first thing we got to do. So. So. You already know what time it is. Make sure you grab your weed. Grab your edibles, your concentrates. Whatever it is to get you where you got to be. And let's get ready to smoke it if you got it. I hope this some bitch smokes. Dead ass. I rolled it and I've been wondering the whole time we were going to get to where we got to go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Smoking on this Tagalongs right here. Tagalongs is an indica dominant. You're looking at peanut butter breath crossed with Oreos. Peanut butter breath crossed with them Oreos. And you already know the business. Let's get right to it. I don't want to waste no more time because I don't want to get as much in as we can. So, allow me to introduce my guest of honor here tonight. You've been hearing his name a lot over the past couple of months. Joining me right here live on 2B Blood, it is my honor, Mr. Grant Smith Ellis. What's up, sir? Very good to be with you, PZ. I really enjoyed your intro there. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Of course, of course. And of joining us for this epic conversation, you might know him as CTMMP Data Online, but right now, he is here after a social media break. I cannot wait to bring him in. Lou Rinaldi making his return to the show. Kristen Salza. I don't have to introduce them any more than that. Y'all know exactly who these faces are. Hello, hello. And let's hello, everybody. get right into this. This this breaking news. This 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 downhill tumble that is Curaleaf, which has been crazy. We got breaking news here. So Kiralief under scrutiny, under investigation, for ties with Russian billionaire. You got unregulated research labs. You got secret remediation machines, something that Chris and Lou have been talking about endlessly on and off the show, online. Things that people thought were, were, were jokes, a hoax maybe. These are all things coming to light right now. Mr. Grant Smith-Ellis, would you like to give us the rundown of what's happening here with Kiralief? For those yeah, who may sure. not know. Yeah, and I think you just did a really good job, uh, Peasy, with that. 
overview if folks want to see like a really good sort of graphic overview check out uh burn after reading it's a great Substack and instagram account run by freelance journalist eric casey who used to write for worcester magazine and is just really a very intelligent guy overall you can see a breakdown of this story in written form with pictures if it's easier for you to understand but here's the thirty thousand foot elevation perspective Rumors about Cureleaf, which is, by the way, one of the world's largest, uh, America's largest cannabis company. There's the graphic. Thank you, PZ. Uh, has been associated with Russian ties dating back uh, to the early 2015, 2014 time of the cannabis community era. But uh, none of those ties were really uh, affirmed until just a few months ago. Now, the initial ties had to do with two of Curaleaf's co-owners, Boris Jordan, who's an American-born uh, dual national uh, between Russia and the United States, and then a Moscow-based individual by the name of Audrey Block, B-L-O-C-H. Now, these two gentlemen, dating back to, as I said, 2014, 2015, were driving rumors of a connection between Curaleaf and sort of Russian figures close to the Kremlin. But it wasn't until December 22nd of 2022, which was just over 30 days ago, mm -hmm. that reporting by Forensic News, specifically Scott Stedman and Matt Bernardi, confirmed that a Cyprus-based investment company tied to sanctioned oligarch Roman Abrahimovich had been giving loans to Curaleaf in the amount of hundreds of millions of dollars, not just in the 2015, 2016, 2017 era, but apparently right through 2021 and 2022 as well. So that's really where this story all started. Even though it went back to the initial Russian kind of rumors about Kirillov, it really took off December 22nd, 2022. Um, I can talk about more and where we went from there, but that's where this all starts. Now, let me ask you, one of the main things after sharing this uh, news story you put out uh, on Instagram, that people were <laughs> DMing me and asking me, which is an interesting thought, is uh, why do people care if there's Russian investors? Like, why is that such a big deal? There's a lot of people who don't understand the issue with this. So if you could elaborate. Yeah, I think that's a big question. And I, I think it's not that Russian money per se is a problem. There's two elements to this. The first element is the oligarch element, which I'll address. And then the second element is like the Ukraine war, which I'll take second to that. Okay. So the, the oligarch element really goes back to like the end of the Soviet Union and something called like Glasnost and Perestroika, which were like Brezhnev era reform initiatives that in essence formed like a class of like centralized oligarchical control over Russian society that kind of teamed up with the KGB to create this like modern Russia that we know as this authoritarian strongman dictator as embodied in Vladimir Putin. Um, Boris Jordan and Andrei Blockel were intimately involved with the rise of that in the early 1990s. One of them was a dairy magnate. One of them was an oil magnate. So that's thing one. That's why this is important fundamentally, because the idea that this could happen in the United States presents a fundamental threat to the integrity of the lawmaking process. And it's not just in the cannabis arena, where, by the way, this company, Cureleaf, has gone around advocating for police task forces to target the unregulated market. They've pushed for um, trying to shut down medical caregivers in Maine. Like, it's not just that they approach laws like this. It's that they treat oligarchs treat every industry like this. So that's problem one. Now, thing two is Roman Abrahimovich, 
The subject of this news story in forensic news is a sanctioned oligarch in the EU who is tight with Vladimir Putin, who is currently at war with a country that is basically a NATO ally. So you have those two things together that make this a very, very, very big problem. That element of the story itself. So that's my answer to that question. Anyone else want to uh, touch on that before we move forward? (laughs) I mean, you kind of like nailed all of that. I was definitely nodding my head through, uh, through all of it. And I mean, you know, maybe it's politics aside, but that that Ukraine piece and the fact that you pointed on he's been sanctioned. And I think Canada as well. There's a couple of countries where, you know, our administration did not sanction these oligarchs. So that in and of itself is problematic, I think. Not even I think. I mean, that's very problematic. Um, yeah. And, and your elaborations into how this is touching on other industries is very important for people to recognize and be cognizant of and be aware of because it sounds so conspiratorial to think that, you know, Russia is infiltrating our government, but it it's happens in small ways like this. This isn't small, but it, it happens in ways like this. I so. mean, there's been so many cases where we've accused Russia of tampering with our politics in one way or another. Right. And this is just like the next thing. First, they're tampering with, you know, the voting and the elections. And now now they're tampering with the cannabis industry in Connecticut. And I don't want to say how people don't see that as a concern. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that to me is is crazy. And the fact that no one even knew about this. I mean, these are secret things that are going on behind closed doors that no one even knows about. And now it's and we were saying we have a. We, we have a state senator whose wife is on the payroll of Curaleaf, despite never having set foot in a Curaleaf facility and allegedly not even knowing that she was on their payroll. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 definitely got tendrils that that run deep. But I don't want to interrupt what Grant's got going here because I'm I'm. I'm very transfixed with this whole situation and Grant has done really all of us a service in, uh, I don't think a lot of people realize this and he probably won't, uh, you know, go around saying it all the time, but this dude put like over a year of work into this, I think you said, right? It was something like a, not an insignificant amount of time that you've been, you know, put putting all the pieces together here. So I just want to, before we go any further, I don't want to t- eat up any more time, but I just want to say thank you, Grant. And uh, on behalf of uh, all of us, patients, consumers alike, uh, we we are better for your efforts. So thank you. That's, that's really very kind of you. And I, I should be clear, um, as much as I was looking into this story, um, it really all came together because of the efforts of a number of people that I'll take in turn. But especially, um, I should be clear that the forensic news article, there were actually two of them on December 22nd, 2022, and then on December 29th, 2022. That was the start of all of this. And I'll explain why right now. It was from that that um 20 days later on January 19th, the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission was the first body of any kind anywhere to confirm to me on the record in a statement that they were investigating Cureleaf. Now, 
it would have been big enough if they confirmed they were investigating Curaleaf because of their ties to Roman Abrahimovic. And just to break this down to pe- for people and why this is a big deal in Massachusetts, not every state has the kind of rules I'm about to talk about. Every state should have the kind of rules I'm about to talk about. And it's because you can catch, for example, dirty Russian money coming into the United States if you have these kind of rules. But in Massachusetts, our um, cannabis rules are codified under something called 935 CMR 500. And we have a section of that um, regulation called 935 CMR 500-104, which is our rules related to indirect and direct ownership and control. And they basically say that every time you have a change of ownership or control that in any way above 9.9% of the company's value impacts the company, you have to let the Cannabis Control Commission know. And what this does is it makes it, and this includes uh, money that's used to start up the company, and it includes all sorts of financial instruments, loans, um, or, or otherwise. This prevents people from taking ownership of companies and then indirectly influencing the company without calling themselves an owner. It's not something that exists in every state, but it allowed, in this case, in my opinion, the Cannabis Control Commission to look into something which is a fundamental threat to the market as a whole in the United States. But that's just where it starts, because then my reporting and you can find this story on my Patreon uh, for free. By the way, all my reporting is available for free. The story goes on to indicate that it wasn't just these Russian ties. There was dating back to 2019, an unregulated, illegal unlicensed human research lab being run, according to company employees that I spoke to, um, in Newton by Curaleaf. Now, why this is such a big deal is in November of 2022, the Cannabis Control Commission issued a provisional license to Curaleaf to do research, the first research license in the state of Massachusetts, at the Newton facility. Oh. And it and these these employees are saying, and I was able to confirm this from multiple sources within the company, that dating back to 2019, Curaleaf was illegally diverting regulated product out of its Webster cultivation facility, bringing it to Newton, both in person and via the federal mail. This is THC based product, which would be a federal crime. <laughs> oh, and then and then at the Newton facility, processing it into things like inhalers, test beverage infusers, test Delta 8 and Delta 9 shatters and otherwise, and then testing it on employees, human subjects, without any IRB oversight, without any regulatory approval, just kind of doing it. And I I have seen the products from that lab. I can I know what how they were hiding the fact that THC was involved in the products, etc. And that's that's just the second component of the story. So I'll stop there. But just to give you some sense, investigation for Russian ties. Then they get hit with the investigation because they were running an unlicensed research lab. And that's only two thirds of the story. And transferring product through the mail like (laughs) as a corporation like that. I mean, who's who's running stuff back there? They're not they're not the only ones doing it either. Any of these vertically integrated MSOs are, you know, more than likely doing exactly. I don't know about the mail, but they're they're absolutely diverting um, and and in some cases across state lines, which is a a much bigger issue. Uh, But, yeah, it's 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 not one of those things that gets talked about very much because, you know, just like uh, the same reason why remediation studies are generally not made public because it would 
substantially disrupt existing markets. And we can't have that. <laughs> I mean, that's that, but that's a huge, huge thing, you know, uh, uh, unregulated research lab moving product like that. You got the Russian ties. You got this going on, and it just it, it just downhills. It gets worse. Testing it on their employees, which we know is trash product. That's that's top of the list for me personally. All right, third topic. No, <laughs> no, that's kind of that's a very good I'm, point. I mean, these employees don't they have any rights to fire back at this? For, you know, the, the you know maybe just because they didn't know, like, there's anything they could do for themselves. I mean, what I what I want to know is was it incentivized as like something extra, like a bonus? You can get a bonus for do, or was it do this or you're going to lose your job kind of thing? That's <laughs> what I would be wondering. So I haven't just the culture of peer pressure. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I haven't heard anything about you know test this product or use your lose your job. It was more here's some free samples. Um, now what's what's imminently frustrating about this, and I will I need to contextualize this by saying the thing I'm going to talk about, which is called quality control samples, I'm totally okay with, but it didn't really exist until last year. But I'm totally okay with folks giving folks free cannabis, right? regulated cannabis because in Massachusetts, every employee is entitled to 28 grams of flour per month for free from their employer, seven uh, strains up to four grams per strain. I think that's fine. I think that's important. But what I don't think is okay is testing unregulated or even if it's regulated product testing in an unregulated environment on human subjects because there is a reason and this is what i was going to ask more about if folks know about internal review boards it's not gratuitous <laughs> that you must get approval when you're working within an institutional setting to test on human subjects we have those rules because of a very long history of people doing terrible terrible things in the absence of that oversight so it's not a small thing to say oh let's just test on human subjects because it's easier and a shortcut to get our products to market. And it's a form of R and D that's innocuous. No, it's, it's a very serious thing and I'm very concerned about it. And I, I hope the regulatory agency is, and that's what I wanted to get to. What's the remedy for these employees? Well, the way our society is set up is the power to deal with these type of violations is vested in our regulatory agencies. It requires them taking action on our behalf to protect these employees. And the only way they're going to do that is if people are paying attention to the issue. And I can assure you with the amount of attention on this issue, they don't have a choice but to take action. That's yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I'm thinking. You got to take action. And part three, which I'm sure is loose favorite <laughs> of the three, here is the secret remediation machine, which is uh, something that we've talked about a lot. Grant, if you would. Yeah, the, and this one, um, I, I want to be clear as well. They didn't. Cureleaf did not need permission. As strange as that is, and maybe we can talk about this as well. We can talk about this as well. Cureleaf did not need permission from the Cannabis Control Commission to use a rad source machine on its product. Now, if folks are wondering why would you use rem remediation on your cannabis, I'm sure folks who listen to this show will know. But if you're wondering and learning about this for the first time, it's because companies can have product fail testing for things like bud rot, powdery mildew mold or otherwise, and then run it through their gamma radiation machine and then have it get onto market. 
And there are a number of problems with that, but we'll get back to that in a second, because here's the issue. The company didn't need permission to use this machine, but they did have to disclose its use. And they were supposed to provide personal protective equipment for employees that were around it because, oh, I don't know, it's a radiation machine. <laughs> um, but in any event, um, the, the, the company, according to my sources, someone who was very clearly, and again, knowledgeable of what this company was doing and it wasn't just one person it was actually two people one who didn't even work at the webster facility looked at the sign on a door and it said out of order maintenance and that that was the room where the radiation machine was and that sign was used for the purpose of making sure ccc inspectors wouldn't see it so they treated this machine as if it were some kind of innocuous, I'm trying to, I don't want to say like a rosin press, because even that's not as innocuous as I'm going for, but they treated it <laughs> like it were a paper towel dispenser. And I'm being facetious, but that's how this machine was treated according to the employees that I spoke to within the company. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, this, the lengths they go to cover up what they're doing is, is incredible. Um, this remediation with the radiation and everything. And the fact that they don't need permission, I think is a huge talking point here. Like, how is that not a regulated thing? Lou, I mean, I know you got a lot to well, say I about think, remediation. I think correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Grant, but I believe in the Massachusetts market, you are, if you are using remediation, you are required to disclose it. And it's, disclosed on the certificates of analysis but nowhere else is that accurate yeah well okay and i appreciate you bring going there luke because i think it brings up an important point there really isn't a way to tell if it's been if the end product has been irradiated however what's uh, what a knowledgeable source told me is that radiation of cannabis involves heat and so therefore it has two primary impacts one it converts um THCA to Delta nine, which is obviously akin to um, decarboxylation. So if you look on your flower um, end sample, um, you will see a test result and you will see Delta nine. So if you see Delta nine in your flower test result on the end product, that's an indication of irradiation. Um, the other issue that it's a little harder to actually detect is it degrades the terpene profile of the flower as well. Um, and this isn't just a flavoring thing. I tell people this a lot. This impacts the sort of holistic um, impact of the cannabis flower as a medication. And so I think there's a strong argument to be made for disclosure at a bare minimum and approval at sort of a more strict uh, enforcement uh, level. And I think that's a really important thing to, to think about. Yeah, it's, it's really tragic that um, all adults now, not just medical patients, but, you know, Connecticut's adult use market launched on January 10th, uh, you know, just a, a few weeks ago. Um, and people have no idea. People have absolutely no idea that this is even something that happens, uh, much less how it potentially impacts them. And I've been, uh, I've been around and around in my thinking on this and, and in terms of what's the best thing to do about it. And honestly, 
I think um, truth and advertising and accurate product labeling is the way to go. Uh, you know, when when uh, when you go to the store to buy milk, the milk bottle has to tell you that that product has been pasteurized. Yep. It is a it is a regulatory requirement and you can get in some serious trouble uh, if you're, you know, willfully subverting that. Uh, so, so why not do the same thing for this? There's always going to be I, again, I hate using alcohol analogies, but there's always going to be like the Bud Light, the bottom shelf, you know, vodka, whatever, the stuff that you know is probably going to kill you twice as fast. Uh, but you have a choice as a consumer. You have individual agency. You can decide for yourself because you are, you know, hopefully adequately informed uh, of what the contents of, of that product are. So do whatever you want to do. There's a, there's going to be a market for the Bud Light and just like there's going to be a market for the ultra high-end craft, you know, small craft production cannabis. Um, but the, I, th I think you got to give the people the choice. You got to inform and educate the consumer and allow them to decide once that information has been adequately and proactively conveyed to them. That's, I don't think that's such a huge ask. I, I'm not, I mean, believe me, I would love to make it, uh, you know, like you were saying, more difficult for uh, remediation to, to be used at all. Um, but I also, you know, I have to be a, a, a pragmatist in a sense, you know, what's, what's already out there, if people are okay with it, again, just label it as what it is. And if they still want to buy it and they want to support that company, and, you know, maybe eventually we'll end up in a place where we can let the, the market decide these kind of things instead of having the state pick winners and losers. But at the very least, we can inform and educate the consumer, the patient, you know, the end, the end purchaser of these products. And we should be doing that. So but I hope don't. anyone who feels the <laughs> same will join me in voicing those concerns to our regulator, the State Department of Consumer Protection. Uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> now, does Connecticut also have free reign to use remediation without needing approval? Is it the same as Massachusetts? Well, they won't even tell you. They won't even tell you that they're doing it. Oh, we know they that. Won't even acknowledge that. We know yeah. that already. I mean, fr from a regulatory standpoint, now, as of the previous legislative session that just got this, I think became official in May of last year. Um. They're no longer allowing failed, ba failing batches to resubmit. Um, and that's how they're saying they're, they're stopping remediation. But what they're not doing is preventing preemptive remediation prior to the initial submission of the sample. So it has become sort of the wink and the nod to, yeah, we just moved the squishiness from the back end of the regulatory process to the front end of it. And now it's it's completely within, you know, compliance with the regulations to grow product of whatever quality and preemptively run the sample through radiation or ozone or whatever they happen to use at that facility. And only then, once you've nuked it, then you submit it to the lab for testing. And then the lab says, oh, yeah, sure, sure. It looks great. No problem. So yeah. that's that's the current state of play in Connecticut. And, and that is, again, it's a, not even a year that it's been like that. But I don't think a lot of people know that either. It's incredible. <coughs> this the whole idea of remediation. 
and having <coughs> radi- radi- <coughs> sorry, I'm choking over here. <coughs> having product that's going through this process that includes <coughs> radiation and then putting it <coughs> on the shelves. There's something about that. Don't feel right. Now, I know that they use remediation in all different industries. It's not just cannabis, right? The food industry uses it, you know, and so, like, we know what's happening. But here's the difference to me is that, like, this is supposed to be medicine, right? So, like, I just feel like there should be a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for now? Uh, It should be put up on a higher level as far as, you know, I just think cannabis, if it needs to go through that in the first place, it shouldn't be on the shelves, period. That's my, well, that's, not only yeah, that, yeah. that's my yeah. TED talk. Like that's, that's all I got for that. That's really what I'm trying to say <laughs> is we shouldn't be using this shit on the shelves. Like it just, if it's that bad, throw that shit. And out. not only that, there's a real aversion from the state and the dispensaries and just everyone that's, that's higher up than us, I guess you'll say to let anyone even know about it. Um, you know, the state developed this, this educational program that's online on the Connecticut government. And there isn't shit about remediation. It's to throw your leftover flour with ground up coffee grinds and kitty litter. That's the kind of <laughs> education they're providing, you know? And I, I will say specifically like receipts to prove it, that the dispensaries will not allow us to show up and talk about remediation because i personally asked um and let's talk about that what happened when you asked at the dispensary what was your uh your situation like do tell it. me i need it, to know it, which you don't have to do tell it. me where it was you don't need to disclose the name just tell yes, me what happened do. when you yes, asked you, you, could? you know what i you have <laughs> no hard feelings i really don't and there's no sense in not being honest about it there were a couple of times that i had participated in events with fine fettle um i did their patient appreciation event and i did something with them for a mental health thing the girl that works in marketing love her a bunch when it came around to do the next patient appreciation event, I was just going to pop up my table and sell things from my store. And I asked to create flyers and kind of just anybody that came up to my table to provide education and information about remediation. And it was relayed back that that would be too negative, that the patients would just find that information to be too negative. Um, That was terrible. And that's that, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I didn't leave on bad terms necessarily, but, you know, I had some real concerns. I think my exact words were I have some real concerns standing next to a cure leaf rep when you think it's too negative for me to discuss remediation. And so here we are. <laughs> Full circle. We're talking about cure leaf. So I think it's rather symbiotic, actually. <laughs> and I mean, let's 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 continue on the cure leaf train here. I mean, cure leaf also, as, as Grant disclosed, we had the layoffs. That just happened. What was it? November grant? Well, yeah. Well, so um, I do want to get to the layoffs, but I want to wrap up with one thing on the um, testing of cannabis, because there's a larger issue at play here. That's a very big threat to patient and consumer safety that I think folks should know about. And it has to do with the testing labs themselves. And in particular, the anti-competitive and consumer protection issues posed by the conflict of interest that occurs when testing labs are chasing clients by virtue of a perverse um, incentive to inflate THC percentage and pass um, failing product. So one issue is that we have this remediation problem where people are getting bad product onto the market in a legit way by getting it past testing through remediation, whether it's at the front or back end of the process, still a, still a bad thing. But then there's an even more dangerous problem, which is 
the way cannabis is tested is through something called batch sample testing. And you pick out certain samples from big batches and then you do testing. But the thing is, if your lab um, wants to attract a bunch of clients, um, they may be willing to let you pick your own. Well, they do. You pick your own sample, especially in Massachusetts. Pick your own sample, you know, coated in Keef, make sure that it's not contaminated. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation where product that forget remediation product that is literally contaminated is testing at 44% THC, which is unheard of first of all, and then getting onto the market. I'm using that as a hypothetical example, but that kind of number, those kind of numbers really do happen. So we have this big issue with, with testing labs, not having a lot of oversight. My proposal, and I think a lot of folks, um, a lot of commissioners in Massachusetts have echoed this. I hope some folks will support it in other states as well, is a standards lab. So uh, not a state-run lab to test product or anything like that, but a state-run lab to set standards for accrediting cannabis testing labs so that if they are manipulating test results, we can catch them. So that's where I'll wrap up on that before we go on to the uh, layoffs, if you have anything on that. No, I mean, I just want to say I, I completely agree. I, I think that's something that all states should adopt. That's not happening in Connecticut. In fact, they want to assign what they called in, what was it, an ombudsman or something? Lou, help me out here. You know what I'm talking about. It was some ridiculous. <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, don't make fun yeah, of that one. I'm not making fun. Listen, no, no, no. I'm not making fun of it. I'm saying the idea of, of it is good, but the problem I have with it, and I'm going to let you continue, I'm sorry, but to Chris and to touch on that, is that it's probably not going to be somebody who should be in that seat, right? It's probably going to, I don't feel like it's going to be like somebody who's really cares about, you know what I mean? patients the 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 regulations the standards the quality you know uh, it's i feel like it's going to be someone else in it for the money and that's my concern but go ahead lou i'm sorry shout out to well, Jason the good news Rojas. is there's you like him. yeah 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 <laughs> um the good news is there's still plenty of time to continue working on it uh you know it's in a starting place right now uh and more to come on that but to to grant's point about reference labs I had the, the good fortune to be invited out to one of them in California, in uh, Anaheim, uh, called Think20. And it was really eye-opening to see the difference in approach um, and also to kind of be shown everything, you know, uh, you know no, no secrets, you know, everything's kind of transparent by default. Uh, and that's that's like the whole idea, the whole like uh, ethic of the place uh, is, you know, just d default on this on the side, err on the side of transparency, essentially. Um, it was incredibly refreshing. So, yes, absolutely agree. One hundred percent reference labs and also here in Connecticut, which I think is probably an issue in other markets, uh, particularly ones who are relatively recently allowing home grow is that patients and uh uh, recreational anyone who's growing basically needs to have you know reasonable access to lab testing uh facilities same as anybody else there needs to be a, a mechanism for home growers for patients for whomever to test what they've grown to if they want to resubmit a sample of something that they bought at a dispensary they should be allowed to do that too and i wait, think wait 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 you can't do that at your labs you can't test your home grow no, the only the only customers for these two labs, Northeast 
and uh, Altasai, the only customers are the four MSOs who, uh, and, and, and I guess maybe some of the hemp, uh, the hemp growers, I think maybe they are allowed to use it as well. But the general public, no, no, there's no current way. And patients have been allowed to grow for quite some time. And every adult in the state will be allowed to grow as of July this year. And there's still nothing on on the horizon for public access to lab testing facilities. And they're, they're essentially telling people that they need to break the law if they want to get product tested. Uh, you know, and, and that's not a good situation for us to be in. But yet, yeah, to, to answer your question, Grant, uh, no, th- we are not allowed. We're not allowed down here. Th- that's a terrible idea for so many reasons, not least Pre- of so because if anybody who's even in, remotely familiar with the cannabis plant will know that if you grow it at home, it's very hard to control the conditions and there's no way to know, especially if you're a medical patient with sensitivities, what's going to come out of that process unless you do a lab test. I mean, I trust myself. I'm a third, fourth year grower now after taking a growing class uh, with a great guy named Jimbo, by the way, you should check out his class growing together. He's awesome. He's from Boston. Uh, But anyway, um, I learned how to grow from him and, um, I will not smoke my own cannabis unless I take it to a lab and get it tested, a lab that I trust. And that's stuff that I grow myself um, just because of the growing conditions around here and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, uh, that so I think that's the fact that you all cannot, as patients or consumers, bring your home grow to labs is a threat to public safety. And any lawmaker who doesn't understand that is just uh, it it blows my mind but i also understand that connecticut is a unique place having testified uh when your legalization <laughs> bill passed so I've, i'm not going to go too much deeper but i do want to get to the layoff that's one because, way to say it, i was Grant. gonna say it's, it's really putting place. it nicely grant nicely i was being very gentle uh, but i want to get to the layoffs because uh peasy you you asked an important question which was didn't cure leaf lay off 220 people in november of 2022 and was that a harbinger of things to come um one you may not have asked that second question but i added it in there just because you know it's it sounded fun, good right? like it came out of my mouth um, <laughs> um but so uh it, they did they fired 220 people in november of 2022 um and then um this these developments happen in December. On January 19th, I confirmed the commission's investigating. Five days later, maybe four days later, Barron's, which is a sort of big national investigative publication, confirms my reporting. And then all of a sudden, Tuesday night, so uh, the 24th of January, just two days ago before we're uh, doing this broadcast, I report on Twitter that another round of layoffs is happening. Um, it's going to be, it's large, it's impacting SVPs and, and VPs, and it's going to be big. Today, by press release, Curaleaf confirms that it's cutting 10% of its payroll. Isn't that an interesting way of re- referring to the fact that you just engaged in mass layoffs? What comes out after the press release comes out this morning? Well, news comes out that the Curaleaf employees themselves found out via the press release. So what does that mean? That means that some Curaleaf employees read my tweet on Tuesday night, and that was the first time they heard there was a potential they were going to lose their job. That's absolutely abhorrent. I don't care if you're run by a Russian oligarch. I don't care what is going on with that company. These people built your whatever this 
thing is empire from the ground up by working 12 to 16 hour days and giving you weekends and dedicating their lives to you. And that's how you're going to end your relationship with them because you get put in a bad position. I mean, it just shows it was never about the humanity. And as a testament to that, uh, Kim Napoli, who's a great um, activist from Massachusetts who helped pass our adult use law, was on social media today and she made an excellent point, which is just that when you read Curaleaf's press statement from this morning and now, oh, by the way, Curaleaf is pulling out, uh, closing all of its stores in California and Colorado and Oregon as of this morning. Which to was focus also, on Connecticut. Let's so I, all I that's happened about, in 24 hours. They, yeah, and I don't <laughs> I don't know if focus on Connecticut is the reason, but I do want to say if you read the press release, just read it. Look at the terms they use. They don't talk about people. They talk about capitalization and saving money and revenue and profits. It's not about people. And that's why I have such a vested interest in this. Sorry for the rant. No, I love the rants. I, you can rant as much as you want. I love listening to you. Rant. You got a great voice. for radio. Yeah, man, rant on. <laughs> if you're going to rant like that, then rant on. My yeah. And, that's, uh, and I was joking about the Connecticut piece more. because I believe in one of the articles they were quoted as saying that they were going to focus on more of the captured markets, which is specifically what Connecticut is as we're fully captured right now. So. It just oh, let's uh, let's uh, sorry to jump in, but let's just be clear. The three states they pulled out of this morning entirely, Colorado, uh, Oregon and California, unlimited license states. Sorry, Pete. Unlimited license states and they're gone. Gone. Yeah. Gone. So I, the, the, the 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 pies now are Connecticut, Illinois, Arizona, you know, markets like that where there's, you know, still a a reasonable deck stacking uh in their favor which unlimited license is not so yeah those are those are the prime prime targets you know ripe for exploitation and another point you made too regardless of whether we hate kira leaf and them being you know the russian involvement these are real people that have bills and mortgages and kids and that's just a really terrible way to that's just yeah you know i've been laid off i was laid off twice and in and you know one was kind of pulled in the office and whatever we had the chat and they bought me lunch and the second time was a voicemail but if i found out (laughs) from a tweet i think that would be real devastating you know you wouldn't believe it at first it's gotta be a real like it's just gonna mess with your head so much that's just not right so you're it's not about people and reading those press release it's very uh you know not that I'm proud, but in my past life, I, li- I did work in the corporate world. So, uh, you know, those terms, return on investment and, you know, reducing payroll. Reducing payroll means you let people go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's all bullshit. And, and it, the thing is, is the, the, it's just the amount of deceit that's happening within Curaleaf, you know, between how they handled the hiding of the remediation machine, how they handle the hiding of, of the unregulated, you know, research lab, how, how they handled... Uh, you know, just how they beat around why this is all really happening. As we all know it's not really because you're trying to maximize your profits and shit. We know it's because shit's going down. <laughs> you're under scrutiny and all hell they know is about to break loose. And that is my prediction. I really feel like this is the beginning of the end for Cure Leaf, in my opinion. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this, actually. Um, The company's market cap on December 1st, 2022 was basically $7 billion. 
Um, its market cap as of close of market today on January 26 was $2.45 billion. Um, that is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, even if it's just paper um, valuation, it's, it's a substantial amount of investor confidence to be out the window. Um, that as to what where this is going, um, I think the regulatory investigation in Massachusetts is a big problem for this company because it puts them under a microscope. And where I was going to go with this is that something else is going on here. And I've reported a little on it and I'll give your listeners. This is the first time I'm talking about it on a podcast, but I've tweeted about it once. So we talked about how there were two um, oligarchs involved in Curalief um, ostensibly with Abrahamovich not being involved quote unquote, uh, the two being Boris Jordan and uh, Audrey Block, B-L-O-C-H. Block's son, David, I tweeted, had been involved with Curaleaf dating back to 2015. And I only kind of hinted at what is really, I think, a very big story that I hope someone will pick up on and, and run with because I know my sources are good on this. Um, Block's son, David, dating back to 2015, was intimately involved, not just with um, Palliatech, which was the precursor company to Curaleaf. Curaleaf didn't become Curaleaf until Palliatech, which was their um, original company, Jordan and uh, Block's, um, consolidated ownership of four different um, companies in the Northeast United States, uh, Maine Organic Therapies and Maine, Massachusetts Organic Therapies, and then the Connecticut version was called Curaleaf. So that's where the name Curaleaf comes from. But anyway, dating back to 2015, this this guy, David, uh, Block, Audrey Blockle's son, is going around the United States to these different Curaleaf operations. They're in like 22 states now. And as they grew, he would kind of go around looking at things according to sources. And every employee I talked to, I talked to a lot of them from a lot of different states, would say the same thing. It felt forced that he was there. It was really weird. He didn't really understand the company or the industry or what was going on. And it felt like he was spying on us. So that information is coming into me over these past few weeks. That's weird enough. And then uh, yesterday, I believe it is, I get confirmation. Uh, I cannot go into further detail than that, but I get confirmation that the, the, the gentleman, David Block, disappears from the company entirely, vanishes, cannot be found. That's after being there for years, intimately involved throughout their operations in the United States. And why is this all fascinating? I want to, um, I'm not saying these things are connected, but I just want to drop this as well. Folks may have noticed that a former FBI agent got arrested uh, two days ago. Uh, you can pull up the article if you're interested, you know, former FBI agent arrested for taking money from Russian oligarch. It was an oligarch named De 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 Derepenska or something. It's not Abrahamovich. But what's really interesting is the company that was involved with bribing the FBI agent, the former FBI agent, guess whose brother sits on the board of that company? Boris Jordan. So <laughs> what exactly is going on here? I'm not sure why there's Russian oligarch money flowing into the United States like this and whether or not our government's concerned. I'm not really sure, but I'm a freelance journalist from Massachusetts who makes like $200 a month from Patreon. So I've put this information out there. I'm glad it's in Barron's and I can only hope the world's media picks up on it. I've, I've literally been hearing about this 
on every social media site I'm on. I mean, if there's no way the world doesn't know about this grant, I, I literally can't even. I haven't heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> that... Wow. Yeah. One one thing I do one thing I do want to say, and cool. you know, I see we have people in the chat who someone's saying that they think they're gonna lose their job. I assume they work for Curaleaf. Um, what I will say is, I have seen on a couple of social networks already, uh, specifically LinkedIn. Um, there are people who are posting, "Hey, if you were impacted by this, get in touch." I'm going to have whatever, you know, cultivation position coming up in, you know, the second quarter or something like that. My advice to anyone who has been or believes they likely will be impacted by this action to, um, if you're comfortable, share your story on social media or do so in a way that, uh, you know, is, is in response to one of those types of solicitations from someone who's, who's offering, you know, to, to talk to folks who were let go. Um, or if you're not comfortable telling your story, then maybe just even find those kind of posts and reach out to those people privately and just say, Hey, um, that describes me. So let's do this. Um, but yeah, advocate for yourself. And in, in addition to the, all the, the other things that you should do, uh, that we've talked about on the show previously for, if you are, if you're separated from position, but yeah, definitely scour the the networks for for posts like that because i've seen more than a few of them so far and uh keep your head up i know it sucks uh you know i, I feel like we've all been there at least when you get to be my age um so yeah just you know it, it yes it it's it's shitty but uh keep your head up Hell yeah. Yo, I swear to God, not for nothing, guys, but this is probably the first show I've done, and I can't tell you how long where I didn't take no breaks. We didn't do no commercials. Like, we just power-houred through this thing. (laughs) So much to talk about. All this news is incredible coming out. If you guys are not keeping up on this, you need to follow Grant on social media or join his Patreon uh, we will put the link on the website and We're also both. on social media. Both, obviously. Follow me, I'll, you know, I'll throw his IG back on there. From there, you can probably find him anywhere else. But he he really is the the voice right now. If you're if you're looking to keep up on what's happening with Curaleaf, this is the man. Grant, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's really been awesome. Um, I want to make clear, um, as much as it's great, if you want to support me, all of my work will always be free. I do what I do because, and someone talked about it earlier, I believe the cogency of public discourse is the enabling condition of legitimate lawmaking, and I fiercely defend that principle. So you can always read my work for free. I hope you stay informed and engaged. And if you want to support me with a small donation each month, it means a lot to me. So thank you all. I hope you have a good night. And of thank course, you, Grant. thanks, Grant. We really appreciate it, man. And uh, Lou, Kristen, thank you so much for coming through and thank joining you. me. It was cool to get the gang back together. And uh, it just, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. But you thank guys you. can follow Kristen at, uh, you want to follow Sugar Leaf Boutique? I'm sure I still got your little thing up on here. I know Lou's not exactly on social <laughs> media Kristen right now. Sugar Leaf CC Boutique. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got both somewhere. It's just, I mean, I'm really high right now. And I'm, yeah, there we go. Boom. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. And, of course, Lou, we can't find you right now. But, uh, yeah, I'm unable to be found. I don't know what happened. It's all right, man. Your life's <laughs> probably been a little me? more peaceful, at least. 
But listen, I appreciate thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, you guys. Have a good night. Bye. You guys already know the business. You can check us out. It's at Two Be Blunt Podcast at all platforms. It's the number two B E B L U N T podcast. And of course, you can always check us out www.2bbluntpodcast.com. Subscribe to the YouTube page if you're a new uh, listener, viewer, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Don't judge me. I'm fucking lit right now. Uh, just. You know, the chat was popping. Shout out, Backyard Botanist. I see you up there. Keto MJ cooking. Gotcha, gals. Nexus. William. James Bakersmith always up in the house. You already know Donna Taylor. The list goes on and on and on and on every week. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Instagram, y'all were fucking popping tonight. (coughs) Oh, God. I got the munchies like a motherfucker, so you already know the business. We won't be on next week, but February 9th, back live joining me, comedian Jocelyn Sharp to talk about her new special coming out. You guys got to check it out. She was on the show before. Super funny, super awesome. She's making her return. February 9th, we return. I might do a little live or put some YouTube videos out in between, but stay tuned because we got this nice new shiny camera here, so I plan on using that shit. So uh, if you want your shit reviewed, send me a product, whatever you got. You got a machine, uh, whatever it might be, whatever you guys make. Companies out, hit me up. We're making YouTube videos now. Fuck it. This fancy-ass motherfucking camera. Fuck. <laughs> I'm high, yo. Woo! That blood was lit, yo. What was that smoke? Tagalogs. Peanut butter bread and Oreos. I'm lit. My man, you know, the plug always hooks it up. You're never going to catch me going to the dispo. I don't want moldy weed. Irradiated weed, yo. <laughs> Fuck that shit. So, we'll see you next time. Same weed time, same weed channel!